0: Karen, thank you for bidding on and winning my sermon at the first parish silent auction. That was awesome, thank you. I hope I interpret correctly your ideas and aspirations <coughs> me. for a congregation where young, old, and all in between contribute to create the beloved community and possibly paradise on earth. For the title of this sermon, Karen suggested, Isaiah's famous words, and a little child shall lead them. These words are part of the messianic oracle in which the prophet of all expressed his longing for a king who will manifest the characteristic of the great leaders in Israel. Besides having a spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, Isaiah said, this king shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. In his kingdom, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. What an inspirational set of ideals what trust and hope in the human possibility of creating a community where there is no fear of the other. Where innocence shall live. Where the leaders practice justice, understanding, and wisdom. A community where people do not stop at what they hear or see, but with faithfulness and without judgment, help the meek and the poor as we are with that community yet. Are we getting there? It is obvious that First Parish is undergoing radical changes. This is especially true in our religious education program where enrollment is growing and where we are attracting families of mixed parentage, and mixed race, and mixed religions. This has prompted Mandy Neff, our religious education director, Fred Small, our senior minister, the religious education committee, and me to periodically ask deep and relevant questions like What is an intergenerational service? It is it just when the children are here in the sanctuary? Do we need a special planning for these services? Do we need to entertain the children? Do children have the capacity to understand or should preachers lower their standards and vocabulary? Recognizing that we are called to acknowledge and live out the reality that all people in our congregations, no matter their identity or age, are the church and need to be involved in the whole ministry, serving and being served, the Unitarian Universalist Association is encouraging us to become a truly multi generational and multicultural faith. This is now going around the whole denomination. Some of you might have read in the World, uh, the Unitarian Universalist Association magazine, about the church in Utah where all their Sunday services are intergenerational. I asked their minister who was, by coincidence, a student of mine when I was teaching a course at Starking, And I asked her, have they lost many members because of this change? She said, no, because people that are really family-oriented and in Utah do know they are. <laughs> uh, they wanted longer services, and they wanted to have this kind of interrelation with the children, with the young adults, with everybody, because they are families, and they want to continue being families during the service. I asked her that she had to lower her standards when she preaches. She said, no. I preach in a manner that is very um, familiar to them, in a manner that is not very grandiose, and that's my style. Lots of um, stories during the sermon. And I said, so how the children get along you know, with, during the whole service? And she said, very easily, they are accustomed to help. They, they for example, like the chalice, many times, like we do here also, and uh, they gather the offering, that they are, that's their charge, and they help whenever they can, distributing things or gathering things or cleaning after uh, with the candles. The, anyway, the, the children are very resourceful and very able to help. So um, she said, there is no problem and we are really thriving. I, for one, would love to have our children and youth listening to the testimonies every Sunday. Don't you? I think these are such a genuine and moving way to declare what Unitarian Universalism and First Parish mean to its members. Yet, there are objections about shortening the religious education time with the children. I understand that. But I would like to invite you to reflect on the benefits to the children and to the congregation That sharing our religious and spiritual experiences together more often and more deeply would bring to all of us. I know we had some families which strongly believe that our worship should be longer. Some families say, yes, we make all the sacrifice to come from far away just to have a lot of announcements and maybe a little bit of sermon and then we're out and our children get out too. Yet others skip worship if they know it's going to be multi-generational. So what to do? I remember in San Jose when we had the Latino services, or in Spanish, and uh, we asked the parents to take the children down to the basement because that's where the RA classes were, some of them. And they were appalled. They said, what do you mean? Taking my child away from the church? I came to church with them. And we love to have them with us because they need to learn what is what we adults also are learning So when we go in the car, going back to home, they talk about what was in the service, and we talk about the sermon, and we exchange ideas. And I thought this is, and when I was growing up, I never heard of me being sent to a basement or any place to receive different uh, lectures or lessons or anything. I was just with my mother or with the nuns or whoever I was in church, listening to the sermon for everybody. And I don't think the, the, the priest at the language lower or dumb, 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 like they say here. Uh, the children, we, we heard the same things. Um, some very very scary like hell and all that and uh, some very nice, paradise and all. But we were there for the whole time. Uh, children were with the family. I am not saying that's what it should happen here, but I see something to consider sometime. And I do not judge the families or anybody for not wanting to be in the same room with the children, even if it's in worship, or for not wanting to do programs with them. I myself was that way before I had my own children. I didn't want to be with children, I was an adult. I wanted intellectual stimulation. And after they grew up, my children grew up, and when I felt freer or more responsibilities, I said I'd raise my children, I had heard other people saying the same, and I sympathize because I say the same for many years. I already raised my children. I don't have to be with children from somebody else. Now I have to be to my own. But it was only right that my mother died that I felt this warm feeling for all children and young people and a desire to do my best to love and protect them as my own. It was like the moment she had her last, something came into my heart for the children because she was the person who devoted her life to children and mothers and uh, to protect them and to advocate for them and to to heal them whenever she could. She was, as you know, I had so many times talk about her. She was a, a public health nurse in Colombia. But it was as in my mother who dedicated her life, like I said, to serve and benefit mothers and children implanted with her last breath the same desire in me. Now, First Parish is not alone in facing new situations and questions regarding integration of and hospitality toward children, toward young adults, toward the youth. Other denominations around the country, trying to be intentional about multi-generational life and multiculturalism, are facing them also. Eric Erickson points out that, and I'm quoting, while abstract words and theoretical concepts are not the conscious questions of young children. They concretely experience faith through relationships within a community that shares a common perspective, ethos, and faith. Barbara Kynes Mayer and William R. Mayers, authors of the book Transcendence, Engaging in the Church Ministry and Covenant with Young Children, assert that the experience of the child is profoundly intertwined by the often unintentional consequences associated with belonging to a particular family or community of faith. And they continue, but adults can be intentional about this process as well as imaginative. We should not forget that the community in tandem with the family is a powerful presence in the developing lives of young children. People who believe ought to be developing communities of faith that are open and affirming to children and the wide variety of family constellations occurring in present-day American society. Times and Mayors also ask, what does the church believe about children? Do we view children as real persons, or are they unfinished expressions of our will, awaiting correct instructions in order that they might become something worthy of our effort? Are children sinners, in need, for com- in need of conversion, or innocence, born with a clean slate, or a crazy quill mixture of both good and evil, vulnerable to relationships, and yet, capable of immense joy. David Owens, a pastor in Illinois for his part, states, do we isolate and marginalize children? To whatever extent that is true, we ourselves are therefore diminished. I totally agree. And Ralwaldo Emerson, see, I am putting myself in his own league seems to have agreed also when he wrote in his diary. Intellect is alike in the father and in the child. We all fellas affect a great deal of reticence with the young people, but their wit cannot wait for us. When young and old see Faust on the stage or Midsummer Night's Dream or read them in the closet, they come silently to the same conclusion no age to intellect. We are witnessing witnessing great and profound changes in our society. I am hopeful for the future because every day I see or hear about a new invention by a young person or acts of heroism or of compassion or activism for a charitable and cherished cause. Do we remember managing lemonade stands by the road or seeing children having fun doing so, while at the same time being serious about raising money for college or for charity? I remember that. How about rain or shine, delivering the paper on a bike, or throwing it from the window of a car driven by your dad or your mom? And who can forget the girls' cow selling cookies door to door or wherever they can find a willing customer? Those cookies are good, aren't they? From these and similar activities, millions have grown to become successful entrepreneurs, better yet, real philanthropists and caretakers of the planet. With such rapid advancement in the social media, young people have become, in many homes and even offices, the teachers and trainers of older generations. It is common to see in immigrant communities young children translating for their parents. But their contributions go well beyond this important task. In this country, there are thousands of children going to school full time while caring for a disabled or terminally ill parent at home, doing the cooking, cleaning, and shopping, just like adults. Have you hear about those children? I have seen several documentaries, and it's heartbreaking because they do so much, so much for caring about the home and the parents, and still they had to go to school. Well, our children don't have any burden like that. One reassuring fact is that the younger generations are looking for authenticity after learning the fraud that politics has become. They do not want to be boxed and labeled, but to live free of prejudice and stereotypes. These generations are freer, I noticed. They don't mind mingling a lot. And um, it's a good example for us, it's a good lesson. The ease of communication, particularly particularly through social media, has connected us instantly and widely. It has helped us in emergencies, and it has contributed to saving lives. The shadow side of Go is the careless and irresponsible use of it, instantly misleading millions around the world robbing people of their privacy and reputations. It is our duty as a caring community to model and insist that our children, youth, young adults, and yes, adults, use this powerful media responsibly and wisely. For it is one thing to have fun and show smart ways, and quite another to dangerously expose yourself or others, or to use this media to harass, demean, and bully. Here at First Parish we have an amazing goal of welcoming all people to the celebration of life, of nourishing and serving each other, and of respecting the inherent worth and dignity of every person. However, we recognize that to achieve these goals it is essential that we as a community create safe spaces wherever we are so that our children and adults can be safe and free to work on their spiritual growth. So we crafted and the Standing Committee adopted our Safe Congregation policy in May 2010. This policy was designed to make sure that all here feel safe and free to follow their own spiritual paths in an atmosphere of respect and mutual support. With this policy, we encourage anyone who has witnessed or experienced Verbal, sexual, or physical abuse at First Parish to contact the appropriate team. And I'm going, I don't like to read email addresses, but this is so easy, and I hope that you can keep it in your mind. Safe Congregation at First Parish Cambridge.org for issues involving adults. And Safe Children, one word, at First Parish Cambridge.org, for issues involving those under 18 years old. I have seen this policy working efficiently and fairly. I encourage each one of you, nay, I urge you to read the policy and to make it it a living document. Information about this is on the last page of the announcements in your order of worship, as I mentioned before here in this. We often say that the children and youth are our future. Yet we know that they are also our present. Let us help them live the lives of their dreams. Let us hold them in love and trust so that we may empower them to grow confident and proud of whom they are becoming. And yes, the children and youth are our future. What future will that be? For better or for worse, their future will be imbued with the teachings and examples given by us. What an awesome responsibility. Let us live from this moment on, lives of which we feel proud, lives of which our children could feel proud and want to emulate. Emerson wrote, We live, laid in life, by memory, and in our solstices, or periods of stagnation, we live on our memories, as the starved camel lives on his humps. Let us collect great memories to live from, by living lives of integrity, courage, compassion, love, joy, understanding, generosity of spirit, and hospitality of heart and mind. Grateful for both the precious and tender dreams we dared to dream when we were children, and for the fresh and daring flights of fancy of our own youth Let us open ourselves to the possibilities of joy and fulfillment that life may still bring us. Let us continue creating and inhabiting the beloved community where children, young, middle-aged, those approaching or already in their older years are loved, appreciated and accepted as a person and possibly even known by name. Let us continue striving to create paradise on earth, that holy place where we see and honor the sacred in all and in each one. Amen, Hallelujah. and blessed be.